Welcome to this Peer Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash XES. This independent learning activity is funded by Janssen Incorporated. Hello, I'm Dr. Barbara Molosky at the BC Cancer Center in Vancouver and the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. Uh, welcome today to this activity on rare EGFR mutations in non-small cell lung carcinoma. Joining me in this discussion is my good friend and colleague, Dr. Natasha Lale from the Princess Margaret Center and the University of Toronto in Toronto. Welcome, Natasha. Thanks so much, Barb. It's a pleasure to be here. So when we think about EGFR mutations, you know, we know in North America, they make up about 15% of our patients with, with um, advanced non-small lung carcinoma. And they're a very heterogeneous group. Um, we sort of think of the classical mutations as the 19 deletion in L858R and in Exon21. But there's another sort of group of mutations that um, exist. We call these rare or uncommon. And these include Exon20 insertions and other uh, complex mutations and compound mutations, which means more than one. And these are really different biologically. Um, Exon20 insertions do not typically respond to first, second, or third generation TKIs that we use in the common mutations. So in this presentation discussion, we're going to sort of dive into that. We're going to try to understand how these mutations are different um, and what we can do today uh, to improve the outcome in, in these patients. So Natasha, I'm going to hand it over to you. Can you tell us about the difference in prognosis or the common versus the rare EGFR aberrations? Thanks, Barb. So if we look at these real-world data from the Flatiron database in the U.S., we can see that patients with EGFR exon 20 insertions have a worse prognosis overall, an overall survival of about 16 months, which is almost half the survival in our patients with common EGFR mutations. So we know that they're worse actors, um, and they are more aggressive tumors. Um, and as we mentioned, they are resistant to the current TKIs for EGFR that we have. Our current standard of care in the first-line setting is a platinum-based chemo doublet. But as we know from chemotherapy in general, the response rates are not ideal, they're low, and progression-free survival with platinum doublets in the first-line setting is about seven months. Until recently, we did not have a standard of care beyond the first line, but that's changing soon. With the development of novel targets, for EGFR, excellent 20 insertions, the therapeutic landscape is certainly changing. You can start to see from the table, there's two drugs that are really leading this way, amibantinab, which is a bispecific antibody against EGFR and MET. This drug is approved by both Health Canada and the FDA. You can see the response rate is about 40% and durable at 11.1 months. In terms of safety, the biggest challenge I have with this this drug is the first infusion reaction, but we're actually learning. Um, my last four patients didn't get any reactions at all on the first uh, cycle one, week one. So, you know, this is all about education and not only the doctor, uh, but the patients at the nursing and the pharmacy. The other drug that's sort of in the forefront is Mopisertinib. Response rate is slightly lower at 28%. It also has a very durable response you can sort of see from the original study, it was 17.5 and an updated, might be a tiny bit lower. 
Its biggest problem is diarrhea. Uh, this is approved by the FDA, not Health Canada. And I'd like to add, Barb, that we also have a, a large number of agents in development. Some of them show CNS activity, which is very exciting and, of course, so important in these patients. And now that we have these options, it's so important to highlight the need for testing because, as we've seen, these patients don't respond to typical EGFR inhibitors and don't respond well to chemo or immunotherapy. Thanks, Natasha. I completely agree. So I'd like to move now on to sort of the concept of testing. You know, what should we be doing? When should we be doing it? Um, if you were to ask any of the, us that sort of do thoracic oncology, we want testing with the DNA RNA panel, and obviously we want it reflex done in all stages. Each of ours is what's called truckle, and you can sort of think of a trunk of a tree. So it's strong, it doesn't really move. Um, and when you test a patient in the first line setting or early stage uh, and is positive for EGFR, that won't change because it's truncal. Natasha, what's the experience of your testing um, in your center? Thanks, Barb. So it, at my center, we offer a broad-based comprehensive NGS panel that includes testing of both DNA and RNA. But access and turnaround time can be quite challenging from one center to the next. And so even though everyone's supposed to get the same uh, reflex routine NGS testing and we order it uh, on all of our diagnostic samples, there is some variability in uh, whether everybody gets it across the province, whether it's some centers more than others, and of course, when we get the results uh, to, uh, to apply to our patients. I also think it's important to highlight that at the very least, we should be testing for EGFR alterations in all patients, even if there isn't enough sample or time for broader NGS panels, uh, as well as other alterations, for example, ROS1, ALK, BRAF track, and others. Uh, we also routinely test for PDL1, as you do at your center and the other centers across Canada, which allows us to stream patients to the best possible therapy, whether it's targeted therapy, immunotherapy, or chemoimmunotherapy. That's a great point. Um, you know, the PDL results come out really quickly because it's uh, immunohistochemistry. And sometimes the driver mutations can be a couple weeks later. Uh, and some of us sort of look at the clinical characteristics to make decisions, but that's not the right thing to do. Uh, we really need a comprehensive testing to make proper decisions about treatment. So, Natasha, what do you think should be the standard uh, treatment or the standard testing? Thanks so much. And I, I think, Barb, as, as you mentioned, PDL1 isn't enough. And, and we really need to remember that um, PDL1 expression can be very high in many oncogene addicted tumors, ROS1, ALK positive tumors, uh, sometimes refusions. It's not always low. Uh, so, um, you know, it's really important to wait for the genomic data. Sometimes we don't have a choice. You know, the patient needs to start treatment immediately, and that's just reality. Um, but in, uh, in an ideal situation, you would get both your genomic testing with NGS plus your PDL1 as well as, of course, knowing whether this were adenocarcinoma or squamous carcinoma or another subtype. And that way you can determine who gets uh, targeted therapy and which targeted therapy, who should get chemo or chemoimmunotherapy, and who would be a good candidate just for immunotherapy on its own. Um, so, you know, and sometimes you don't always get the NGS results in time. Sometimes our pathologists, if time is short or tissue is scarce, They'll still do the old ways of single gene testing with EGFR using PCR and ALK-IHC. And so if the IHC is positive for ALK, 
just like in the old days, you know, irrespective of the PDL one, you can go ahead and start your treatment on targeted therapy. Similarly, if you get an EGFR mutation, ROS1 or TRAP, you can go ahead with targeted therapy um, and you can go ahead and make your treatment decision wait, without waiting for a larger uh, NGS panel. Um, if you just look at PDL1 alone, in our experience, what we've seen is that about half of patients with targetable alterations do have high PDL1. So, you know, there's really the potential to go wrong if you only look at PDL1 and you don't wait for those NGS results. I agree. So, I think it's really important that you know your pathologist, you know your cytogeneticist, you can ask them questions uh, and not be embarrassed, and you can get your patient, more importantly, started on the proper treatment. In summary, as we've seen, patients with exon 20 insertions, EGFR, are a subgroup that never had any targeted therapy before. But that's changed. We have multiple drugs that are now looking at this mutation and treating it. And it's a bit of a race, but there's two drugs that we talked about today that are in the forefront, amivantinib and mobisertinib. Uh, Natasha, would you like to add anything? Thanks, Barb. And so I think it's so important, again, to really uh, remember that patients need complete biomarker testing. PDL1 is not enough, especially in our patients with adenocarcinoma. And we're learning more about squamous carcinoma and other histologies. It's really important to get that NGS testing. Um, and in some places, you might be able to expand beyond that or pick patients based on clinical characteristics. But as much as possible, we want to do this routinely and try and wait for both results before starting treatment. Great points. Well, I'd like to thank uh, the audience for joining us today and uh, watching this program. I'd like to thank Natasha for giving great commentary and her expertise. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.